0: familiar people to talk to. Thank you for tuning in to my third cast. Once again, Madeline Williams, I hope you have a great day. <laughs> Addressing mental health in secondary schools would help prevent the intensity of stressors presented in college. These red flags can be shown years before college, and then once they get to college and are exposed to these stressors, only so much can be done at that point. Not to mention, again, them living on their own. They don't have you start to think. Have these thoughts been there for years? Since they've gotten to college, is it key to address mental health problems before college, or does college pose a unique biological factor in which stimulates these feelings? We have to address mental health in secondary school in order to curb the stressors of college. According to an article on CBS News written by Steven Rainberg, among more than 67,000 students surveyed, Over 20% said they have experienced stressful events in the last year, most in college, that were strongly associated with mental health problems, including harming themselves and suicidal thoughts or attempts. Going into college, there are many new stressors put on students, some of these stressors being academic pressures, career issues, family problems, intimate and other social relationships, personal appearance, personal health problems, and sleep difficulties, which is a big one in college. I believe it is key to address it before because college most likely exposes individuals to more social and cultural stresses. It's additionally many people's first time being adults and being on their own at college. If the environment of college tends to make students more prone to suicide, then instances like Denson-Jackson should be taken more seriously. Stormaya Denson-Jackson, 12 years old, committed suicide at her troubled charter school in D.C., she told her school sc- psychologist that she did not want to live anymore and she stated, and she was stated as a low-level suicide threat in the file. It also stated that her grades were suffering and were getting involved in trouble frequently. Additionally, it said she tried committing suicide before. The charter school principal and other administrators were aware of this assessment and did not tell parents until after her death. The school psychologist was allegedly not licensed in the district Nor did she have training in suicide prevention, which is against D.C. law. They set up in-person sessions with her along with follow-up appointments. However, they failed to provide her with proper mental health resources. The red flags, she shows, could have been handled more urgently, and she could have been appointed to more in-depth help, despite the cost. Now, I say despite the cost because she told one of the on-call physicians that she was worried about the cost if she was hospitalized. Olivia Kong is just one example of how suicidal ideation is shown as a red flag. Now, apart from suicidal ideation, counselors are shown a numerous amount of other red flags. Graham Burton, student at Hamilton College, was failing all but one of his classes and stopped attending many of his classes. Professors at Hamilton College were exchanging emails about the absences and failing classes, but they failed to inform any mental health officials who could have possibly helped him. The school knew he was struggling and they didn't inform the parents either. They followed FERPA, which is Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, by not telling them without the student's consent. Even though Burton's suicidal ideation wasn't verbally displayed like Kong's, it was still a very alarming red flag. They legally cannot go around FERPA, however, and that brings up the question of, if they can't go around FERPA, then who is responsible for reporting? FERPA can keep many things confidential, such as the signing of contracts. But the problem with the signing of contracts is it doesn't allow for accountability. In other words, just because you signed a contract, it doesn't mean it's something you have to abide to. It isn't a written law. Luke Tang, a student at Harvard, attempted to kill himself and was required by the university to sign a contract promising to follow his doctor's orders. After he left for summer break, he did not keep up with mental health services, and when he returned the next fall... He killed himself two weeks into the next semester. Tang's parents did not know about this contract that he signed due to the FERPA Act. The university originally attempted to stop Tang from committing again with a contract in which he signed. However, they never followed up with him after returning back to school, which was a precaution that should have been done. After discussing these cases of red flags... Hello everybody this is your caster Madeline Williams and before we jump into my third cast we're first going to recap on cast two. In cast two we further discussed about how college counselors are shown many red flags and don't respond to these red flags as urgently as they should. We additionally talked about the precautions counselors should be taking but didn't but then also along with the precautions that they did take but how and where things really went wrong. Once again there's only so much college counselors can do. Now, to bring back the discussion about red flags, one of the key signs counselors should look for is suicidal ideation. Suicidal ideation is thinking about or planning a suicide, and a lot of the time, individuals will show or even tell people about their plans and thoughts. Olivia Kong, student at Penn State, phoned a psychiatrist with the university at least twice, and the counselor noted that she said she had actually planned to return to campus on Sunday and kill herself. Additionally, people close to Kong reported her suicidal thoughts to the university nine times. Health services were aware from a survey that she took, meaning not only counseling didn't do anything, but student health services as a whole. After being told about her suicidal thoughts, counselors at CAPS, Counseling and Psychology Services, told her to get a good night's sleep and provided provided her with the hours in which she could call the clinical line or walk-in during business hours.